Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. Today I have a poem that comes with a story. A story about a poem that was loved, lost, and then found. I will say this is the quirkiest poem I have yet to share, and probably the least pretty. And it hints lightly at a darker mental health condition than any poem that I've shared. So if you want to pre-listen for any sensitive children, that might make sense today. But I don't think a poem has to be pretty and comfy to be good or to have some truth or even beauty in it. So for me, this crazy little poem made the cut. So if you've listened to previous episodes, you know by now that I go bananas over stories about poems and their impact on people. Whether it's stories about poems ambushing or startling you, wrecking you, comforting you or even just stories about poems living in people's minds for a long time and how after a while that starts to matter to have a poem in your mind for years and years. And I've loved every single poem story I've received from listeners, so thank you. But it's not quite enough to satisfy me. So I often have to turn to these anthologies that include commentary on the poems. The one in my lap here, which I'm realizing is probably pretty overdue at the library. I'm a little scared to go look. Um, it's called Dark Horses, Poets on Overlooked Poems. So it includes maybe a hundred-ish, maybe 70 poets that have chosen a poem that they believe is overlooked and deserves more attention, and they make a case for why. Oh, before I start, I wanted to share something funny that Billy Collins wrote in his, in his little commentary after the poem that he chose. He said, Considering how easily the majority of people manage to overlook the very existence of poetry, one could probably locate a poem that deserved more attention by simply throwing a dart blindfolded at the wall of American poetry. (laughs) Oh, Billy. I just, I really like jokes about how unpopular poetry is. But aren't you glad that you and I do not fit into the category of people who manage to overlook the very existence of poetry? We together are very aware of the existence of poetry. That's fun. Okay, without further ado, I will read the poem, which is called Modifications by Ron Coertji. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. And then I will read the reflection on it, written by the poet who chose this poem to be in the book. Her name is Denise Duhamel. And then I'll read the poem again to end. Modifications by Ron Quirtji. When I was young and we were poor and I used to gripe about the food, my mother would say, eat what's in front of you and be thankful you ain't worse off. That didn't make much of an impression then. And after I left home, I didn't think any more about it except to make fun. You know how that goes. Then a few months ago, I had a lot of trouble, nothing that most people couldn't handle, 
but I'm not most people, and it wigged me out all but for good. The only way I held my junk shop life together was by remembering all the good old rules. So now I honor my father and mother like crazy, go to bed real early, take hundreds of stitches in time. But most of all, I eat what's put in front of me. Lately, I've eaten a lot of forks and things, and right now there's a nice waitress in the hospital just because she didn't move her hand in time. It's too bad, but I've just got to have the rules to keep my arms and legs from flying off. So whenever I sit down, I think them over and chew 50 times and say thank you. 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 Here's what Denise Duhamel says. The summer between my sophomore and junior years at Woonsocket High School, I signed up for a program called Brown Summer High School. I just received my license, and I felt amazingly grown up in my decade-old yellow Impala. I believe I drove five other kids in that huge car with room to spare, taking Route 146 to Providence, then taking a dozen or so back-and-forth tries in order to satisfactorily parallel park on College Hill. Though only a half hour away from the house I grew up in, Brown University was as exotic as Tahiti. I was sure the grass there smelled different, i.e. smarter and sweeter. I'd signed up for writing and literature classes while my friends had signed up for drama. My favorite class was creative writing, taught by a woman, perhaps looking back a young grad student, with a penchant for long feathery earrings and peasant skirts. She played music while we wrote. She was wild and free and encouraging in a way that my high school teachers were not. She made us read our work aloud just minutes after we wrote it, and she also brought in examples by contemporary writers. All of the pieces she showed us were short stories except for Ron Quercy's Modifications. I don't even remember if our teacher told us that this was a poem, but I remember being moved in my gut, completely enraptured. I gave it to my drama student friends to read aloud, like a dramatic monologue on the way back to Woonsocket, just to hear how each one would interpret those 13 unpunctuated thank yous at the end. I was blown away by the casual chattiness of the poem, you know how that goes, and I honor my father and mother like crazy, and the way Coerci's speakers subverted clichés by taking them literally. I kept this poem in my wallet for about a decade, long after college and grad school, until my wallet was stolen. I like to imagine that the thief found Coerci's poem, the blue mimeographed letters insistent on the thinning paper, and perhaps it changed his life too. When, for my high school senior English class, we all had to memorize a poem, or song lyric, since the teacher caved when many students complained that they hated poetry, I memorized modifications. Student after student recited a lyric by Bob Dylan or Van Morrison, and then I got up and gave a heartfelt rendition of Coerci's modifications. Easily bored football players liked it. Squeaky pep squad members liked it. Potheads liked it. They all asked, where did you find that thing? 
I remember copying out the poem by hand for interested classmates. It appealed to our adolescent angst. We all knew what was ahead was a lot of trouble, and most of us were terrified of graduating. More than a few of us, hormones raging, felt like we too were on the edge of madness. Yet Coerci's easy distance in the poem, his refusal to take it all too seriously, made modifications safe to be around. Quick cut twenty or so years, I came across a poet named Ron Coerci, and the name looks so strange to me on the book and at the same time so familiar. I write to him and ask, did you write a poem that ends with thirteen thank yous? I've lost the title with my wallet. I remember something about someone chewing off someone's hand in a mental hospital. Yes, Coerci says, and I beg him for a copy. He writes back, seven, um, excuse me, 1977, 1978? I didn't keep my magazines back then. The poem didn't make it into any of his books. He suggests, maybe it was in an early copy of Wormwood Review? Anyway, I search and I search until one day I type Coerci's name, followed by thank you, 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 in Google.com. It's a desperate measure, a desperate longing for this poem that had meant so much to me, and there it is, like some hidden jewel. The poem stings me the same way it did when I first came across it. I email it to Ron, who writes back, hmm, it's not bad. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I love it so much. I even love being brought back to a time where you could want something so badly that had been published and not be able to find it and that she just had to wait for the technology to catch up. I love that the thief got this poem. I love that she hand wrote out copies for her classmates. And I think what adds an extra dimension of delight to me for this story is that the author of the poem was able to be involved. That's rare in poem stories, but here she was able to interact with the poet and it's just hilarious to me that he couldn't remember where it had been published, didn't have a copy. Um, and then later his response when he hears the poem again, hmm, not bad, just gives me a good giggle. Okay, I'm going to read the poem Modifications one more time by Ron Quirchie. When I was young and we were poor and I used to gripe about the food, my mother would say, Eat what's in front of you and be thankful you ain't worse off. That didn't make much of an impression then, and after I left home I didn't think any more about it except to make fun. You know how that goes. Then a few months ago I had a lot of trouble. Nothing that most people couldn't handle, but I'm not most people, and it wigged me out all but for good. The only way I held my junk shop life together was by remembering all the old good rules. So now, I honor my father and mother like crazy, go to bed real early, take hundreds of stitches in time, but most of all I eat what's put in front of me. Lately, I've eaten a lot of forks and things, and right now there's a nice waitress in the hospital just because she didn't move her hand in time. It's too bad, but I've just got to have the rules to keep my arms and legs from flying off. So whenever I sit down, I think them over, and chew 50 times and say, thank you. Thank you, 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 thank you.
Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading, where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.